let me begin with a question. How many of you, um, you would put yourselves in the camp of being open-minded with your faith? How many of you would, you would put yourself in that camp where you would consider yourself to be a Christian who's open-minded with their faith? And what, I'm, what I mean by that is you believe the Bible, but when someone shares with you maybe um, how they are uh, connecting spiritually, uh, what they do, another philosophy of life, that you're, you're open to what they're saying. That, that, you would, that you would maybe engage it, that maybe you would add it to your faith. How many of you, um, but actually, you know, you find yourself struggling at times with that. So for example, when talking to a friend who's sharing how their uh, certain spiritual practice or exercise is giving them uh, true closeness with God, you know, without, without all that sin and cross stuff, um, uh, that th- th- you don't really need that to be close to God. How many of you would wonder, though, and, and deep down find yourself thinking, I don't know what to say to this person, okay? When, when another Christian um, says true religion is the way of Christ, not in any particular doctrine or teaching uh, about Christ, we just need to focus on Jesus living over and above any claims about his person. Yes, that's important, but we focus too much on that, and if we, if we could just focus on Jesus and how he lived, maybe we'll finally make a difference in this world. Or, James, come on, you don't, don't you know that you can genuinely be a Christian without needing to base your life and faith on some external authority in the Bible? Like, times have changed. We now have the Spirit do you know what to do with that? Do you know how to navigate what's beginning to captivate and take captive the church? Are you, are you ready in this? And I, and I bring those up, and there could be lots of other examples, and you can talk about those in your community group, but I bring those up because as we come into this passage, this is what Paul is seeking to help his church with, us in, and that is he's trying to help the church in Colossae and us navigate rightly through the waves of cultural pressures, false philosophies of the day, and and misguided demonic spirituality. So he's gonna tell them what to do. This is really helpful. Sometimes in the Bible, you get to a story and you have to pull the implications and applications in. Paul is just going to tell us what to do. So this this is an easy note-taking passage. So, and he's going to tell us to do what, what, how we're going to navigate in this cultural world by saying two things. Number one, walk in Christ. He's going to say, walk in Christ who has rooted you and is building you up. Okay, we're going to unpack this. Second, he's going to say, be guarded. He literally, he, he says in our passage, see to it that no one takes you captive, so be guarded with Christ, and then, he's not just gonna say that, he's gonna tell us why. Why should we be guarded? Why should we you know, take captive other philosophies and other spiritualities and other um, ways of the tides of this culture captive, and, and don't let them captivate us, why? So he's gonna give us four reasons why. So walk in Christ, be guarded, and then four 
reasons why, all right? So that's good. Let me, let's uh, read our passage. What we're going to do in the book of Colossians, uh, if you've been with us, is we're going to stand together for the reading of God's word, and then I'll have you seated, and we'll pray, and then we'll get into it. So here, here's our passage. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, but by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You may be seated. Jesus, I just want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that that you are here. I thank you that we have um, bound up in you everything that we need for fullness, because in usefulness, for salvation, because you are salvation. And I just, I pray that as um, we unpack this passage and, and get practical, I pray for your help, Holy Spirit. I know, like in my own heart, that we have um, lawyers in our minds who are going to tell us we're the exception. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would love us this morning, that you would that you would lovingly take our hearts and just build them, nurture them, encourage them, and convict them so that we can, we can live how we've been designed to live. And so I just, I pray for your help. I pray if there's someone new who's maybe not a Christian that you would help them process what I'm saying correctly. And I just, I pray for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so first one, walk in Christ. Before we I unpack this idea of uh, walking, I want us to look at this idea of in him. This is so important for what Paul is about to help us with uh, when it comes to how we navigate and how we know we're living the Christian life in the truth, in the right doctrine, and all that God has called us for human flourishing. So, So we need to unpack this thing that is just full in the Bible, but particularly really full in this passage. It's what scholars call our union with Christ. So I've highlighted them to show you what I mean. Let me just show you what we're looking at, okay? Verse six, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. For, verse nine, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. Verse 11, in him also you were circumcised. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith. Verse 13, God made alive together with him. This is the way we as Christians are to understand our faith. 
This is how we're to understand our faith. So let me explain this by just pointing out how Paul doesn't simply say, so walk in his truths. So walk in his benefits or walk in forgiveness. But he doesn't, he doesn't say that. What does he say over and over? He says, walk in, in him, Jesus, like the person, the God, man. Why say it that way? Why say, why, why this phrase, in him, by the way, which is mentioned over a hundred times in Paul's letters, more than Christian saints and all of those combined, as the description of the New Testament Christian. The reason is, Jesus, our salvation, all in all, in those things, all the things that were the benefits, when we get Jesus, we get them. Okay, let me, let me explain it this way. Calvin, he said it, salvation becomes ours in Christ, not merely through Christ. James, what are you trying to say? Let me put it another way. We cannot abstract what Jesus does for us from Jesus. We can't have adoption without Jesus. We can't have belonging, acceptance, shame removed, forgiveness. You can't have the power over the darkness without Jesus. You might think to yourself, this is obvious. I hope so. However, I've often been in sermons and maybe you've been in conversations where Christians, they speak much about the benefits of being forgiven. And those are good. They speak much of having a new start, living a greater security, knowing your love, like, like you're redeemed, having peace. Now remember we're talking about other spiritualities coming in and adding and pulling in. So you're speaking of benefits, of Christ, and then you have forgiveness, you have this, you have this, you have this, with oftentimes very little mention of Jesus. And while all I'm trying to say is they're not separate. What do you mean? Well, for example, when the benefits of Jesus are pulled away from him, the preacher or the messenger, us, tends to think, quote, how can I offer these benefits? So the preacher, we think, how can I offer these benefits? And for the listener, they're thinking, how can I get these benefits into my life? Right, I, I don't want guilt, I, I want I want life everlasting. I want to feel accepted. Um, and those are good things, and those all come in Jesus. But I want, I want, those are good. However, if we see that Jesus and all of those benefits are inseparable, no, the primary question for the preacher or us sharing is now, how do I preach Christ himself? And the hearer is thinking, how do I get into Christ how do I get into Christ? I want Christ. That's a big difference. With the first, follow me here, Jesus is a means. Jesus can get me this. With the other, Jesus is everything. With the other, Jesus is the gospel. And this is what Paul is passionately wanting the church to know who they are. 
Christ in them, Jesus in us is our forgiveness. Jesus in us is our relationship security. Jesus in us is our newness. Jesus in us is our peace. For it's all about Jesus. It's all bound up in Jesus. If you have Jesus, you have it all. But they're not separate. And what this means is to walk in Jesus is, if this is true, the activity of every Christian is super clear and very exciting. Namely, I'm gonna center my life on Jesus learning from Jesus, talking to him, living how he lived. Walking, it speaks to the language of a moment-by-moment relationship. How many of you, one of your favorite things to do, you probably did this yesterday, was go for a walk. A walk with someone. What do you do on a walk? You just, you're in fellowship. It's about friendship. And so the way we have relationship, friendship with God is when we have Jesus in us. We can't separate him from his benefits. So now we are to walk in him. I wanna show you something else really encouraging in this verse. Um, it's really remarkable about Jesus in us. But look at verse seven. And, and, and what I'm gonna do with verse seven is I'm gonna show you the NASB. So this is a different English translation. If you're new to the Bible, the, the original language is Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, and so scholars, they look at the manuscripts, the hundreds of manuscripts that we have, and they, they translate from Greek into English, and so there's different kinds of translations, but they're all saying the same things, but here's what the NASB uh, translates verse seven. I wanna show it to you. Uh, it's on the screen. Therefore, verse seven, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. It's the same as the ESV, and then it says this though. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him, establishing your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Okay, the ESV is good. We can understand what this passage means. Um, the ESV says rooted and built up. But the NASB, what it does is it pulls the tenses of the Greek in to the English translation and we read this. We have been firmly rooted. And, and you are being built up. You are now being built up. And I just, I want to tell you personally, I needed this this week. Like I just, the affirmation that, that in this world that can be brutal at times, where people can disappoint and we disappoint, where desires that we know, like self-centeredness and lustful thoughts and greed and, and what the Bible calls the flesh gets the upper hand in a world where Satan is just relentlessly lying and accusing you, uh, that you're a failure, that you're a nobody, and, and where, where, where your dreams are shattered. I mean, just the affirmation that no matter how tenuous, unsure, and uneasy my week was, our life sometimes seems, I've been firmly rooted in Jesus Christ. Do you know that? That God himself has graciously seeded my soul in the soil of Christ's unchanging and unconquerable grace. That your life is rooted in him. That your hope is grounded in his goodness. That whatever may come, whatever you may encounter, whether good or bad, you of this may be certain that you have been rooted You've been rooted in. Your roots are in the unchangeable, indestructible, immutable, living Jesus Christ. It is. So if you're here and you're thinking, man, I just don't know, you know, I just don't know, James. I don't know how, if I'm growing. Like, I don't, 
that's encouraging that I'm rooted, but I just don't know that I'm making any progress. If anything, I feel like in my Christian faith, I'm, I'm uh, regressing. Just take Paul's words and what he says next. He says, and now being built up in him, Jesus is one brick at a time building you up. That's what this passage is saying. What God began by grace, he'll finish by grace. You're not somehow getting frustrating to him. Like you're not at some point where he's fed up with you, where he's had enough. It was grace that got Christ in you and it will be grace that leads you home. Don't make it about you. Nothing will lead him to forsake his work in you. Nothing. You have been rooted and you are being built up. He, he wants them to know that. Let me ask you this, who's shaping everything for you? See, the truth is, you're either walking in him or you're walking in something or someone else. And what happens when you forget this, that you've been rooted and you are being built up, is you'll desperately try to root yourself in your own good intentions, in your own good works, in the, in, in the promises of other people, or whatever worldly trinket you think will captivate your heart more, and or maybe some kind of financial successful time in your life that will just finally make you happy. And, and when life goes sour, know this, those roots will show themselves as foolish and unable to hold. There's only one real root. Paul's trying to get them to see it's Christ. This is what he's trying to help this church and by the Holy Spirit help us see that there's no other wisdom, greater, other spirituality, more loving and true and saving outside of what they have. You have it. So he says, walk in what you fully have. In, in, in the truth, he says that you were taught, Jesus, words. And so it just makes sense that the next phrase is abounding in thanksgiving. You have all of Jesus, when you have Jesus in you, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, I think, you know, we at times will come into moments where we will appreciate the fact that, we, that Jesus in us is literally everything. Like our life, our joy, um, our salvation is Jesus. But when was the last time you just spent a, a day or a whole week and, and you noted that you were just a person who was abounding in thanksgiving. Like, do we abound in thanksgiving? That was, a, that was a takeaway for me. I just highlighted that when I was studying, going, what would that look like in James's life? So abounding in thanksgiving. Okay, so that's number one, walk in Jesus. Okay, we'll, we'll see how that's even more powerful in a second here, but, but, but just know it's all bound up in him. It's all bound up in him, um, he's who we want in everything. Um, if anything in, in this spiritual teaching or any other worldview is pulling you away from Jesus, it's off. If, if any kind of teaching is not getting you to the grace of Jesus, it's off. If it doesn't have Jesus at the center where everything and all your hopes are with him, it's off. If you can add to your faith to impress God, it's off. 
It's all about Jesus. And I, I, I feel like I want to encourage us. Some of us need to get to know Jesus again. Some of us, we, maybe we had a season where we can remember what it was like to walk with Jesus. We can remember what it was like to talk with him. We can remember what it was like to just, you know, that feeling when you just had that, like, that new crush, and you were like, oh, I just can't wait to see if they texted me yet. Nope, not yet. Nope, not yet. Right? I just, I like, you have him in you. So walk in him. Okay, now second, be guarded with Christ. Be guarded with Christ, and we're gonna have four reasons why. So verse eight. Um, see to it. It'll be on here. Yes. See to it. This, this, is, an, this is an imperative, meaning it's, it's a command. It's uh, do this. Actively engage in this. So see to it. Another translation says beware lest, be careful, uh, see to it that no one takes you captive. This word captive was used in other contexts to describe kidnapping or, or being robbed or, or, um, uh, or armies would take prisoners and drag them. So, see, so he's saying, if you value your life, guard here, do this and don't get kidnapped. Don't get taken because, you know, Liam Neeson is going to, Jesus is going to come and get you back. We're in a theater. Relevant. Just trying to be relevant. See to it that no one takes you captive by, okay, by what? By philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. And let me explain this. Um, Paul is about to give us um, four amazing teachings of the fullness of Christ. And he does this because if you want to navigate rightly the counterfeit false philosophies and ideologies, here's the key. So if you're like, what's the key? I said it in the beginning, walk in Christ, but the key is you need to spend a, a good amount of time with the authentic. How do you know if it's a counterfeit? You know enough about the authentic. And so he's going to give us all of Christ's theology so we have the authentic. But he begins here saying this word philosophy an empty deceit. Let me be clear, philosophy isn't what he's against. The word philosophy simply just means love of wisdom. So they, they had, philo like Job is actually considered to be a wisdom literature, so they would teach philosophy of Job. They would teach the philosophy of the Proverbs. Um, so philosophy, so he's not against your, you know, your cap U class where you take, you know, philosophy and Kant and all those things, um, but he's talking about another wisdom for life, an ideology, another cultural worldview that was present at the time that, that was pulling them away from Christ. Now, he's going to teach on that in the next passage. So we're going we're gonna to go through that in greater detail, what it was for Colossae and how we see it today. But I felt compelled to just ask the question as we pull this text in to us, what is this for us today? As we mentioned in the intro, what is it that is pulls people away from Jesus very subtly that we need to see to it we're not getting kidnapped by it? Okay, so I want to give you two. There's many, but I'm going to give you two. The first one I think is probably the biggest tectonic plate in our world right now of cultural thinking. The second one will come as a shock to you, and it'll be very controversial, but we're going to go there anyway. So 
The first is this. See to it that no one takes you captive by the freedom of choice without limits. So the philosophy of our day in, in, on the North Shore, North America, is basically this. Everyone is free to live any way he or she chooses as long as it doesn't curtail someone else's freedom. So it's the freedom of self. It's what some call the sovereign self. And, and we're kidnapped by it. So let me ask you, in your heart at times, do you feel taken captive by this thinking? Have you ever thought, I think we need to change a little bit about what Jesus says um, to make Jesus more relevant to where we are today? I kind of agree with my friend that that seems a little off and, and not inclusive and offensive. So I, I don't know, maybe the Bible is just an old book and written different, you know, I mean, after all, isn't it like God a God of love? Like, wouldn't God want me to follow my heart and be happy? That's, that's the, the one today for us. And the truth is, he does want you to be happy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and life to the full, that their joy may be complete. But notice this phrase, I have come. There's something, now, now follow me here. So if you're drifting in any way, I need you to track this thought because it'll help you this week. Um, there's something that Jesus knows is the problem and why he's coming. Na- namely, our hearts are not aligned to where they'll find happiness. They are in fact bent on ourselves. In this passage, he says they are dead. We are dead spiritually to wanting God where we are originally were made to worship God and not creation, but to love creation from a worship of God, but instead we worship ourselves and creation. He says our loves are disordered. They're distorted. This is why Jesus came. What I'm saying is before we can argue about the solution, we need to ensure that the diagnosis is true. Put another way, When someone says, I don't need Jesus to be spiritual, or when they say to you, I've met many people, you know, who meditate, and and I've met a great loving neighbor who who practices Hinduism, and it's changed their lives. It's really changed their lives. We need to see what they think is the problem. In other words, uh, the problem is maybe it's I'm not feeling full or I don't have this peace or I don't feel fully in control or I'm still stressed. So if, if that is the problem, then meditation changes your life. It can. You breathe right, you stretch right. You can, you can get away from some of that stress if that's the problem. But the cool thing about the Bible and, and, and the thing, not cool, but the thing about the Bible is that it has not only come to show us the solution, but it's come to show us in the solution the right diagnosis. And the problem is that we're dead in our trespasses and sins, that we've pushed God out. That if there is a God who we, who we exist for, the only God who ever is, and, and we are now in debt to him because we've ignored him and lived as if he didn't matter, and we have sinned, we haven't loved our neighbors, and well, we've, we all know that we have this shame and brokenness, and, and we're accountable to God. Well, then Jesus is everything. He, he is the solution and savior. So you take our problem, 
that we have hearts that are, that are not wanting God. If anything, we want to push God away from our lives. We don't want his word to rule. We want to rule because that's the authentic self. You're sovereign. You get to make the decisions. You decide right, wrong, good, and evil. That doesn't come from God. That comes from you. If that is the cultural philosophy in the air we breathe, throw in social media. Okay, so let's throw in social media to that now. Um, what happens? Well, let me ask you this. Why are so many of us attracted to social media? Now, we all have, you know, good answers, and they're right. Like, we want to stay connected, and, you know, there are good benefits to social media. I think the gospel is going out powerfully through social media. But if, you, like, there's a small fraction of our hearts that smiles when what happens? When we're liked, right? Or when we get views. We kind of like, hmm, man, I, I am liked, world. Um, and so, so follow me here. Feel, the, feel what I'm trying to say. There's a pressure now because um, if you land where the Bible does on many issues that you're seeing all over that cultural teutonic plate on social media, guess what you're going to be afraid of? Not being liked. Being unliked. J.I. Packer, when he was asked 20 years ago, what is the greatest threat to the church? Do you know what he said? Intolerance. And at that time, they, when asked to explain it, the, the core answer he said was this, tolerance is the opposite of repentance. And Christianity is all about repentance. See, with tolerance, there's nothing in you that needs to change. And the Bible says everything about us needs Jesus. And we need to hear this passage from a father's heart. Okay. I said the second one was going to be a little difficult. And I need your permission to explain myself. Okay, so before the lawyers, in your mind, which they will, they're going to want to justify to you why you're the exception, please hear me through. Just please hear me. That's all I ask. Just let me, let me finish this whole point before you give the lawyers a voice. Now, if you're not a Christian, I'm really glad you're here, and I, just, I need to uh, share with those who Jesus is in some things that may be hard, but uh, are everything for spiritual growth, because we're talking about things that are pulling the Christian captive, and the imperative is see to it that that doesn't happen. So my job is to teach what this book says and bring it to here, and so I'm going to do that, and so I need your grace, because this is for human flourishing, but at first you're going to be like, what? So here it is, you ready? I know I'm building it up, because I um, I, I want you to hear me with, with great love and great clarity. The second one is lust. The sexuality in our day. And I'll just call it nudity. We cannot go anywhere or have large conversations today in this world, read anything without this very difficult to describe pull to be free with your sexuality. That it's art, that it's naturally exciting, 
that you're to pursue your desires, that, that more than that, your sexual desires are who you are, that the authentic self is who you are sexually. So experiment, engage, enjoy, be free. This is swallowing so many of our young people today and so many Christians Are you being taken captive here? This will be controversial, but I'll just say it. Usually eight out of the 10 people in my 10 or 11 years of pastoring, more so with men, but not excluded to women, the reason they drift from God is not because they've studied Christ and found some historical orthodoxy, maybe not aligning with the Bible, or the Bible's off, or we got this new research. It's usually because their pants want to come off. There's a freedom they want to have in this regard that the Bible says is not God's design or will for their sexuality. This is why, by the way, oftentimes when it comes to cults that we'll look into next week, one of the major uh, aspects of the cult is sexual impurity, some kind of form of sexual freedom. So let's be really clear, sleeping together, any sexual activity in the mind or body is only designed by God for enjoyment, pleasure, procreation in the context of marriage between one man and one woman. And what people want to do is they want to sleep together or they want to watch nudity so they either have to push their spiritual growth aside or they have to change what they believe about Jesus. And then they drift. It's not the other way around. Okay, I need your permission to go a little deeper. Can I ask you, what's in your previously viewed on Netflix? or your Amazon Prime, or whatever show you watch. And I care for you, and I'm, I am just often surprised at a number of Christians I respect, I love, who are smart people, they're, they're Bible conservative thinkers who are watching shows full of nudity. Okay, here we go. I'm really glad, really glad I brought my friend today, yeah. Yeah, this is this will be a good one. But I'm 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 serious. Look right, there is a captive power working in your soul when we engage with nudity. That's not your spouse. It's the first sin Paul addresses in Colossians 3. And I've seen it, I've seen it take great men and women captive. So let me just ask us, does anyone really believe that when Jesus warned against looking at a woman lustfully in Matthew 5, or when Paul told us to avoid every hint of sexual morality, not even to speak of the things the world does in secret in Ephesians 5, that somehow this meant go ahead and watch naked men and women have or pretend to have sex? Now I know some of the pushback. I know some of us will go, you've got a weak conscience, it doesn't bother mine, 
James, you're, it's art. It's just art. Like, I'm fine with it. I can actually view it. I'm, I can view it, actually, and it doesn't, I don't feel like I need to engage it or participate in it, with it. But that doesn't change what the Bible says about the importance of purity and the power of the eye and our call to walk in him. John Piper, in a blog, 12 questions to ask before you pick a show or watch nudity, says this, I'm only gonna give you four. Number one, would I be glad if my daughter played this role? So most Christians are hypocrites in watching nudity. Why? Because on the one hand, they say by watching that this is okay, I can do it, but on the other hand, they know deep down that they would not want their daughter or their wife or their girlfriend to be playing this role. That's hypocrisy. Second question, am I longing to see God? Do we not wanna see God and know him as fully as possible in this life and in the next? Watching nudity is a huge hindrance to that pursuit because Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Third, do I care about the souls of the nudes? God calls in 1 Timothy 2, women to adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. So when we pursue or receive or embrace nudity in our entertainment, we are implicitly endorsing the sin of the woman who sells themselves to this way and are therefore uncaring about their souls. Fourth, does it express or advance my holiness? You can't go anywhere throughout the whole Bible where God loves and is passionate about maturing us in Christ. We said this last week, God's greatest aim in your life is to grow you into godliness. Second Corinthians 7, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. And men, can I just say, man, I get, I get it. I just, I get it. I fight this so much. Every day I war with my soul, sometimes sweating, and in my mind, in the spirit, here. And as I plead often with my soul, I say this, there's so much joy and clarity when your heart is full of Jesus and purity. There's so much joy and clarity when your heart is full of Jesus and purity. Women, there's so much joy and clarity when your heart is full of Jesus and purity. And men, your friends who are female, your spouse, they know. And look right at me, the culture tells her it's fine. It's not and you need to repent. You need to give up good TV for the gospel, and it doesn't make it okay as long as you are both watching it together. See to it, verse eight, that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Okay, why, Paul? Tell us why, give me four reasons. Here they are. 
Why? Why? Why should we see to it? Here's the first reason. Verse 9, for, so this is a transition word, because. So see to it, this doesn't happen. Tell me why. For in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. What, what is he saying? He's saying he's God. In Jesus, all of God dwells. If Jesus is full deity, man, he's, he's it. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. That's why. If he's not God and he didn't rise from death, live however you want, Paul would say. Embrace the eat, drink, and be merry. Like, and get all the philosophies you can. But if he is God, he's everything you want, which means other philosophies and spiritualities and ideologies, other new wisdoms are not, do not have rule and authority. They have no rule and authority. He's trying to get them across. If Jesus is God, there's no other rule or authority. He's, all the fullness is in him. So that's the first reason we should take captive because he's God. There's no other gods. Worship the right God, the true God, the only God. Second, he says, you have him in you. Look at verse 10. And you have been filled in him. Why should we, why should we care about this? Because we have Christ in you. He says, you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So the deceptiveness of the false teaching at Colossae centered around the claim that more was needed to be done to stand before God. The idea is that you're lacking. Right? You need this. You need this to get peace. You need to get spiritually stronger. If you added this, if you had a connection to angels, the issue is this, you're lacking, you're lacking, you're lacking. And, and Paul's like, no, no. Don't listen to someone who says good works or religious activity will make God more impressed in your life. No, you're full, you're totally full. You're complete. Nothing, nothing is lacking in Jesus' salvation. Now, our understanding of salvation may grow or the benefits and the blessings as we uh, live them out may grow, but in Christ, you have fullness. That's good news. Third reason, the old you was cut away when Jesus was cut away. He says, in Jesus, Paul always seems to bring up circumcision. It's always hard for preachers, okay. In him, in Jesus, you are circumcised. That just means to cut off flesh. We all know what that is. We cut off flesh with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of the flesh. So you put off this old flesh. That got cut off. How? When Jesus got cut off. That's what he's saying. So on the cross, Jesus was cut off for us. Our sin cut him off from God so that in Jesus, our old desires are now cut off to be for God, because in the Old Testament, circumcision was a cutting off of, you are now set apart for God. This was an outward symbol. That's why he jumps right into baptism. He says, having been buried him, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. So, so baptism is that symbol that not only what happened to Jesus happened to you, that, that his sin was paid, your sin was paid, that his resurrection's yours, that you went through judgment when Jesus was judged on the cross for your sin, but it also means now you're cut off to live a new life for God. You've been circumcised for Christ, new life, new power. You're, you're, he goes on, he says it this way, and you were dead. Spiritually, you weren't seeing, you weren't wanting God. In your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh that was still on, God made alive together. 
God did this. Salvation is what God does. With him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its illegal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The third reason is that Jesus in you has made a new you. Jesus in you has made a new you. Why should you take captive and why? Because you're not your old you. God made you alive. You have new desires. You don't want that. You want to, live. You're, just, you're excited about what I'm saying right now. If the new you's in you, you're like, yes, that's right. Mm. Give me some more of that preaching Bible. Yeah. Okay, you know what? By the way, some of you guys got to throw out some amens once in a while, you know? Thank you. Like, be free to be a little charismatic, okay? So next Sunday, just, you know, bring it up a notch. Um, for good, yeah, that sounded weird. I don't mean it like for me, but you know what I mean. Okay, where, where are we? Where are we? Fourth reason. We're out of time. That's where we are. Fourth reason. Actually, let me, let me give you a quote. Do we have a quote? We don't. I'm going to give it to you anyways. J.B. Phillips, he translates this verse. He's a, he's a commentator. Um, not this one. We'll get to that one. He says this. He has forgiven us. He has forgiven you all your sins. Christ has utterly wiped out the damning evidence of broken laws and commandments which always hung over our heads and has completely annulled it by nailing it over his own head on the cross. Fourth reason, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. The reason we should not chase after demonic false teaching and other spiritualities and other spirits is that Jesus disarmed the spiritually evil rulers and he put them to open shame. Jesus won on the cross. The devil can't condemn you because sin was condemned. He can't destroy you because Jesus was destroyed so you can be made new. He, he was bound and he will one day go to hell. In, in Matthew 25, Jesus says, speaking of the of hell into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You have been delivered. That's what he's saying. Now this quote, as our Lord was suspended there, bound hand and foot to the wood in apparent weakness, the rulers and authorities imagined they had him at their mercy and they flung themselves upon him with hostile intent. They really thought they won. There were, in the ancient days, whenever there was a battle, they would have these battles where the armies would begin small scraps and then the kings would rise and all of the armies would come and there'd be one victor. On that day, on the cross, the streets were full of the spiritually demonic because they thought this was it. They thought we've been trying to kill the prophets, kill the voice of God, and now we're gonna kill the son of God. They were there. But far from suffering their assault without resistance, he grappled with them and mastered them, stripping them of all the armor in which they trusted and held them aloft in his mighty outstretched hands, displaying to the universe their helplessness and his own unvanquished strength. When Christ cried out, it is finished, perhaps the devil was surprised and shocked. and knew it. Now they are disabled and dethroned. 
And the shameful tree has become the victor's triumphal chariot before which he is captives are driven in humiliating procession. The involuntary and impotent confessors of their overcomers superiority. Did you know that in that war, we were on Satan's side? And usually in a war, they would plunder their enemies, they would kill them off, they would take all their stuff, and it would be over. But God the Father, instead of plundering us and adopted us. It was while we were yet enemies that Christ died for us. We were on the other team. So walk in him. Abound in thanksgiving. Be guarded. He's God. You're full in him. He's made you alive. And your victory's won. That's the bottom line. The spiritual authority in the name of Jesus beats everything. And, and we didn't deserve this, but Jesus, Jesus made us his. Will you rise with me as we respond? Uh, as we do <clears throat> every week, we respond to the amazing real work of Jesus Christ. And as, as I said last week, as the, as the body of Christ and the blood of Christ was shed for us, symbolized in the communion we're about to take, it becomes a part of you. That's Christ in you. Everything he's done is you can't separate his benefits from him. So when, when you're talking to people, what makes you different? It's Jesus in you. Jesus is your salvation. If you want forgiveness, it's, you got to have Jesus. And so I just encourage you to come abounding in thanksgiving. And if there was anything that the Holy Spirit wanted you to apply to your life, will you give that to him? Just ask him for your help. I know you're battling. He sees your toil. He loves you. And this is a time where we get to sing his praises, celebrate Jesus, get our eyes off us and onto him. And so sing There'll be a prayer couple here, um, and that's how we'll respond. And then uh, Dale will close our time. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you. Thank you for the graciousness of this congregation to let me preach long. And I, I just, I pray that we would really be changed by your word. I just, I pray we wouldn't play church or, I don't know. I just, I pray that when we open the Bible, we would, we would want to love you and live for you and, Thank you that you're in us. Like, that's amazing. Thank you that we can't lose you. We've been rooted and you're building us. Help us to be encouraged this morning that you're one brick at a time building us up. And I do pray that we would care about holiness, that we would stop making excuses. Um, help us, Lord. We love you. It's for your great name. We pray this in Jesus' name.